Hello, Patriots. Welcome to episode 69 of the Patriot Review. Had the interview or the intro queued up there. Don't know what happened, but welcome anyway. We are here to conclude our episode uh, on the um, prophecy and end times. And so we'll have that the first part of the show. And then I have uh, the number four uh, in a series of five interviews with Dr. Bill Warren on uh, this one's on women in Islam, so be sure to stick around and check that out. Now, last week we had part one here of the end times prophecy. Remember, I had um, Pastor Hal Mayer and several video clips from him. I have some more. However, this is what I'm giving you is just the very, very tip of the iceberg on everything that he has. So in the description of the show, you'll find a link to the site where I got this video, these video clips from, and there is an extensive multi-part presentation along with a study guide, and it's exceptional. So check that out. Now, tonight, we're like as I said, we're going to finish off the End Times Prophecy. We're going to bring it up to where we're at today. Now, so you remember... Last time we were talking about um, cities and and how uh, the globalists will use cities in their efforts to drive globalism, and we've seen that. If you haven't seen part one, check it out. You're going to want to do that. It'll make more sense if you do that before you see the second part here. But um, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about I got some I got some pushback and only one guy, but there's always one guy out there, right, who's got to say something negative and probably didn't even watch the show. As a matter of fact, I know he didn't because he was talking to me about how, you know, faith and religion is basically the root of all evil. And if it wasn't for religion, the world would be a much better place, blah, 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 blah. The same argument that we've all heard so many times. And he refused to understand that. As with anything, man has free will, and as we all know, if you are doing something, that, whether it's starting wars or I mean, murdering people, whatever it is, you can't say that you're doing that in the name of Jesus Christ or you know, most religions with the exception of Islam, which teaches that you really need to kill the non-believers or convert them. And if you convert them, they were a lower class, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll get to some of that later on today. But um, so anyway, you'll notice that the church in the last episode and this episode, the church is actually highly criticized because the church is part and parcel to the end of times and the church basically by not doing what they're supposed to be doing contributes to, um, you know, Satan's success up to the point in Christ's return. So, um, you know, the, the point, the reason for the attack, um, completely misguided. And, um, you know, I've almost thought about bringing some of these folks. I, I asked them to appear, but of course they don't. Um, because they know that they don't really have an argument. They argue with emotion and not facts. They argue with, you know, a lot of uh, bitterness, I think, based on their own life experiences. And I hope that, I hope that, you know, these people figure that out and 
um, and decide that uh, they want to want to take their life in a different direction. And I, I'm not going to preach per se, but this this individual is like many out there who don't really understand the message. And the message is that uh, in end times, the church plays a critical role. Now, I'm not a big believer in denominations. Hal, uh, Pastor Hal Mayer talks largely about the Catholic Church. I do know the Catholic Church history. I do know, you know many people criticize the Catholic Church for the Crusades without realizing that almost 500 years of attacks from Islam uh, brought Islam across the uh, the old world, as it were, into Europe as far as Spain. So uh, after those 500 years of attacks, approximately, the Crusades started and it was completely retaliatory, not to say that there wasn't a lot of terrible things that happened, but again, terrible things happen. They don't happen in the name of Christ. Those are not Christian actions if uh, if uh, people actually went overboard and, and did terrible things. That's mankind. That's not God. So anyway, we are going to go right into the second part here and take a listen to what Hal says. And as I did in the first episode, I'll break it up with some key points. And in order to influence culture, they'll push all manner of lifestyle and all manner of rights. Yes, we've got a lot of new rights these days. Did you know that? Yes, we have even the right not to be harassed, the right not to be ridiculed. Really? Is that so? Is that really a right? Well, there's the right to dignity, the right to an education, the right to health care. Some of these are more recent. The right to marriage equality. And there's a very new one, the right not to be offended. Um, that was one that came up in relation to the attacks on Charlie Hebdo in Paris. The right not to be offended. The Pope actually declared that there would there is a right. We have a right not to be offended. He didn't put it in those words, but that was the kind of thing he was saying. You cannot ridicule another's faith, he said. And there's also the right to decent work and the right to time off from work. I mean, every time you turn around, there's another right. And that time off from work is for health reasons and family reasons and social cohesiveness, and that all leads right into Sunday worship. Okay? And there are many more rights. I mean, you, it goes on and on and on. All these rights provide globalists with the opportunity to increase government power, government benefits, which brings with it government power, and also control over the social order. If they can create chaos in the social order, then they can also then bring order out of that chaos and they have increased their standing, their power, okay? So as we stated in the last episode, you know, the, the whole attack on religious freedom, on freedom of speech, this is all a, uh, a, a global effort. This is the World Economic Forum's plan to create a new world order, and uh, Pastor Mayer talked about that extensively in the last episode. So again, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Now, these actually were were filmed during the Obama presidency, so these are you know <laughs> these are over uh, ten years old. But as you look at these and you review these, 
Um, he's he's dead on, and of course the prophecy is is much much older. But he's bringing these to what we're seeing happen today, and even ten years ago, I would say that people would probably um, you know probably uh, say, nah, that's not going to happen, especially in America. We're not going to lose our freedoms, and and uh, you know we aren't going to uh, we aren't going to see these uh, dystopian Orwellian type of things happen to us. Yet, um, just this week, what did we see? Well, just this week, because of Elon Musk's attempted takeover of Twitter, we see the Biden uh, administration just waiting in the wings, and I think they just found this excuse to use to use this excuse to do this, which is basically creating the Ministry of Truth so they can police what they call disinformation. Now, if you've watched CNN and MSNBC over the past 20 years, you've seen them uh, get more and more bold, blatantly lie more and more and more. You've also seen the conservative media, especially Fox News, share less and less of the truth. And you have this you have this marriage of the media that is basically, um, you know, organized dissent to to advance the uniparty agenda. And obviously people attack me as, as if I'm a Republican, I don't consider myself a Republican, consider myself a constitutional conservative, and I fully believe in the uniparty. I believe that there are a lot of Republicans that need to go away and we need to have people, both uh, true Democrats and Republicans, uh, who used to agree that on America First philosophy, on uh, putting up uh, the, the fight for the American citizen. And now what we see, we see Biden on the very day that we find out that the gross national product drop by 1.4%, we see him asking for another uh, $33 billion to defend a border across over the ocean. And in the meantime, we have 150,000 dying last year from fentanyl overdose because our border is wide open. We have disease coming across the border while you have to wear a mask. We have uh, the medical protocols, which are killing people in the hospitals. And by the way, I've got some excellent shows coming up and you'll see a preview, the second round of, uh, of commercials here. Uh, a preview that is specifically for the COVID episode of my documentary coming up called High Treason, You Decide. I've got some great panels coming up. I'm excited about this multi-part documentary. Um, so, you know, you'll want to check that out. Um, anyway, so we see these things uh, all occurring today. And when I look back at uh, uh, Pastor Mayer's video series, it really, really... Uh, strike me as kind of, you know, like I said, like uh, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have believed it, even though it was in the Bible and Bible prophecy obviously comes true. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of Americans wouldn't expect it. Yet here we are today. We have the ministry of truth, the, you know, uh, the militants that thanks to uh, George W. Bush uh, in the Patriot Act now can uh, come in and, and get your information. And if they don't like what you're saying, they don't like what I'm saying, they can uh, obviously attack me just like they have many other people. And it's, it's fixing to get a lot worse. Sorry, that's my leftover Houston uh, residency. It's fixing to get a lot worse. And um, I think we all know that that's the truth. So 
hang on to your seats, folks. This is what's going to be happening. The food shortage is coming, you know, and Biden himself even admitted that, although we know that all of this is part of a plan, that it wouldn't have to be happening. And the prophecy is coming true just as predicted. And um, But, however, that doesn't mean that we don't have free will and we can't uh, prolong our time before we get there. And many Christians would argue that they don't want to do that, but uh, you can take your pick of stances on that. So let's go back to Hal and see what is next in this clip. This clip. History gives us insights concerning the aims of of the globalists today. And we're going to study an ancient civilization because it clearly reveals the globalist ideals and their goals. History does what? Repeats itself. So what happened in the past is being repeated in the last days. There's yet another biblical example of globalism. Um, an empire that brought far that, that brought a far more dangerous and insidious form of cultural restructuring. And that organ or that government or that empire was the empire of Greece. Remember that uh, previous forms of globalism featured various elements of the final spiritual new world order in the last days. And, but now they're all combined. In, in the last days you get the, the various uh, features of, of, of Nimrod's globalization and Nebuchadnezzar's globalization, Greek globalization. It's all combined now in the final uh, new world order at the end of time. The Greeks were masters at globalization, especially at the social level. Their aim was to merge all nations and cultures into one great Greekdom or kingdom of the Greeks. Nebuchadnezzar had uh, controlled by military conquest and by force. He forced people to do things. You know, that was the, the, the Babylonian way. But the Greeks took a different approach. The end result, however, destroyed the Jewish church. And tragically, they uh, were not ready to receive Christ when he came to them. And I'll show you that as we go along. The Greeks used some very important tools to accomplish their purposes. First and foremost, education. Secondly, they used culture. Culture. Culture is something very important to the New World Order. Now, the Greeks first conquered the world by military achievement, but they did not force their philosophy or their religious ideas on any of their subjects. They did it in a different way. They brought culture to bear. They used their culture to get people to accept their religious and philosophical ideas. So there you have it, the the use of, of ideas, the use of thought. And again, we go back to the thought police. Why is the thought police necessary? It is necessary because you are trying to merge all of these cultures together, all these societies together. And in order to do that, you also have to do what? You have to erase history. 
you have to retell history. So if you look at um, if you look at what's happened over the past few years, and and people, you need to get out of looking at specific events and and putting them in their own separate little jar, and then after it's done, you think it's resolved and it's tucked away. Because the truth is, all of this is related. We look back on. BLM and Antifa and the statues being torn down and the schools being renamed. We look at the uh, the 1619 project and we look at the lies of how America was this big evil, evil country. That it, yes, even though it had an evil period of slavery, the whole world had a period of slavery. And again, as I've said in the past, it was three, three white cultures, white men in, in political power who who banned slavery first, France, England, and the United States. There is still slavery in the world today. There's still slavery in Africa today. Whites were enslaved in Africa before, during, and after the Emancipation Proclamation. All of this history needs to be wiped out. The church needs to be attacked. Our own churches are, are contributing to their demise by staying away from teaching the hard truth, the the truth of the, their own religion in favor of something that becomes more acceptable in society today. And that is a fact. We also have seen over time, uh, you know, as I said, history under attack, but we see some very liberal ideas coming in and a lot of cultural propaganda as well. We see some states trying to legalize abortion after birth. Yes, a fully a fully viable fetus, a baby come come into the world, and I guess it's like a test drive of a car. They're actually doing this. So my my point is, godlessness is the problem. Religion, God, godliness is not the problem. Godlessness is. So we need to understand what's going on. We need to know that this effort is uh, coming on all fronts. And that we have to stand up and and do something about this. We have to take our country back. And I don't mean by violent means. I always have to do that disclaimer. Otherwise, they label you as crazies. Even though you notice all this stuff is going on and you haven't seen a bunch of white guys uh, attack, say, a school board and kill everybody on the school board. You haven't seen the violent actions coming from the right. And that is, it doesn't. It doesn't come from the right, at least not very often. You see some extremists and some racists that uh, you could say are far right. But most of the time, it's the BLM, the Antifas, it's the left wing that that creates the, the violence. It's the weather underground in the 60s and so on and so on. Um, so my opinion anyway, and I think that's important to point out. So we have the attack on culture, we have the attack on history, and uh, let's go on from here. Let's go on from here. Jewish education was simple, practical, natural. The emphasis was on loyalty and love to God. Had they followed it, they would have been the wonder of the world. But they stoned the prophets. They went whoring after the idols. They languished in Babylon. And ultimately, they rejected Christ as the Messiah. The question is, why? The Greeks championed the worldly masters of wisdom. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. The Bible says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You see, they were masters of wisdom, and though they flourished economically, their vaunted education and philosophy failed to produce a system that would make the heart truly noble. It was a system that was built on pride, pride of achievement, pride of accomplishment. Now, Greek culture needed civilization or colonization and city life. They used the city, and they used the city very effectively to promote culture because they understood, whether they could express it this way or not, they understood that if people gather together in a city, they will potentiate each other in terms of culture. If they gather them together, they colonize them in a city by beholding, they would become changed. And this is the principle of city living. By beholding, you will become changed. I think that's uh, important in every area because you can bring the city right into your home even if you live in the countryside. But by beholding, it, by, 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 by beholding the wickedness, by beholding the, 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 the artificial by beholding the complex, we lose the distinctive character that God has for us. The city is also useful to merge cultures together. And the Greeks were very good at this. They would, they would take a city, they would build a city, and then they would bring in people from every different culture to join in in that big city. Today we have cities like that, don't we? You know, you can go to Chinatown over here, and you can go to... Korea town over there, and you can go to Italy town over there, and whatever, you know, you find concentrations of certain cultures of people, and yet they're still mixing together. Other pagan societies had no problem mixing in with the Greek culture, but the Jews were so different. They were very peculiar. So they... Um, in the end, Satan's aim was especially for the Jews. This whole concept of merging cultures together was for the Jews. They were his target. Do you think God's people in the last days are the target of Satan? Do you think he could use culture to derail their faith? He certainly can. In fact, today there's even more tools perhaps in the than the Greeks had. So when the Jews came into the cities, they lost their natural surroundings, their simple surroundings. Now they were engaged in the complex, the man-made, and the artificial. It was a big change. By popularizing culture, Greeks, the Greeks were able to disconnect the Jews from their own culture. They even left off, eventually, their religious beliefs. Pretty serious problem. It was a way of thinking. You see, they, the Greeks had a way of thinking. It was a scientific theory. It was, it was skepticism. Nothing is really certain. All you can do is ru rule out. You can't prove anything. Their military power was short-lived, but their philosophical power, 
Their intellectual philosophy is still with us today. It has come down through Rome and especially through the Roman Catholic Church. And during the intertestamental period, do you know when the intertestamental period was? The intertestamental period, that was the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? That was the intertestamental period. And during that period, the Greeks had their greatest success. What happened to the Jews is very instructive to us today at the very end of time. It prepared the way for the Jews to reject Christ. And I suggest that if we follow in the same principles, we will be prepared to reject the Holy Spirit in the latter rain when it's falling all around us. We won't even recognize it. Remember that statement from the Spirit of Prophecy? It says that. Ptolemy I, who controlled Judea in the southern part of the kingdom, aimed to develop in the intellectualism of the Greek culture. He built a school and a library in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, he invited leaders from various countries and religions to Alexandria to help govern and also um, give them responsibilities in organizing the kingdom. He brought them in very close to the uh, central government. This was a key principle that Ptolemy used to help merge cultures because all these different people coming in from different countries there into the central government could understand how the Greek culture and the system of government actually worked. So then they could spread it back home as they would go back to their their homes. So he invited leaders in, and uh, it was a sort of a, uh, a political ecumenism, <laughs> so to speak, a political ecumenism, which he used very effectively. He wanted all religious manuscripts from all the various religions in his library in the Greek language. He, he, his library was a very important library there in Alexandria, Egypt. But, he brought 70 Jewish scholars down to Alexandria. They were, they, were to, they were there to translate the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. And those 70 scholars did their work. It's now called the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. They invited these 70 scholars down there to translate, and uh, as they were doing their work, they would also understand and integrate more with Greek culture. Um, so there was a two-pronged attack to draw these religions together. And the Jews were so different that, you know, they, they, they had to do special things to help the Jews make the transition. The Jews didn't realize what was actually happening to them. It was so subtle. It was so popular. You see, they popularized their culture not only with the Jews, but of course with all the others as well. So what are our scholars doing these days? Well, when you look at our education system and our schools and you have people so bent out of shape that they worry more about learning everybody's pronouns than they do about actually teaching them something, uh, when, they, when they hide what they do from parents, when they attack parents, you know, it started years ago, even before this, but I remember Al Gore come, it comes to mind 
um, and the environmental extremism and him on video talking about don't listen to your parents. They don't know what they're talking about. And now today we've gone to the point where uh, they are injecting our children with experimental uh, mRNA uh, so-called vaccines that are proven to cause problems up to and including death. And uh, we'll have, obviously, as I said, some great guests coming up on that whole topic. But you see, everything is everything is related, as I said. Now, uh, religion has to be attacked because in order for a new world order to come in and in order for people to not rebel or revoke or at least minimize that, uh, uh, no revolutions, re revolts, and that sort of thing, to minimize that, they have to change the mindset. And the, the culture has been under attack for years. History is under attack as I stated before, and the whole idea is to remove the individual liberties given to you by God with a belief that uh, the, the people in power, the elites, are the only ones who can designate who gets rights and who doesn't. Hell, you don't even have control of your children anymore. So they are uh, long... Uh, far down the road here in doing what I'm describing. Now, in Nazi Germany, Himmler realized this fact as well. They, he actually had an outdoor amphitheater built. Uh, he wanted to implement a new religion, is what he called it. This religion would be a secular religion. This religion would uh, completely um, pull people away from Christianity and other religions and replace it with something that the state controlled. And that is exactly what the game of the globalist is. And that is what we are seeing. And it will only get worse. So they drew religions together and they drew the political world together. They did two things and they used culture to do it. Today, we also have a convergence of these same two things. You have a political unity or ecumenism developing at the global level. But you also have a religious ecumenism developing today also at a global level. Those two run tandem together. The Greeks were very friendly to the Jews. They treated them very nicely. They, gave them, they even gave them citizenship. Even though they were foreigners, they gave them citizenship in the Greek uh, society. And they gave them many social benefits. They allowed them to participate in all the social benefits. The Jewish youth, for instance, were trained in Alexandrian schools, then went back to Judea and brought the Alexandrian ideas back to Judea. And also the 70 scholars who had gone down to do their translations. Uh, these leaders had been close to the centers of power. And when they came back to Judea, they had an influence that was outsized uh, from what they had been before because of their experience down in Alexandria. And they brought those ideas and the philosophy with them as they came back. The Jews were intrigued by Greek intellectualism. It was fascinating to them. They loved the way the Greeks would think. 
Um, they exchanged ideas with Greek master philosophers. They liked the fresh liberal thinking of these Greeks. And the emphasis of the Greeks was on materialism, fashion, arts like painting, entertainment like theater, food, etc. Does that sound familiar? But they especially gloried in sports. They especially gloried in sports. You remember, the Greeks started the Olympics. When they ran out of nations to conquer, they had to keep their soldiers fit. So they started Olympics to keep them, you know, as they should be, ready for action. The global system of the economy also played a very important part in how the Jewish church was undermined. Historically, the Jewish priests had made themselves singularly wealthy by the offerings of the people. Yet they were corrupt, and they were constantly seeking more and more and more. And since they were the national leaders, they could guide the nation in harmony with their own personal interests. And so they were corrupt. And by supporting Greek culture, they improved their chances of wealth even further than what they already had. Ptolemy, the king, made a certain Jew the head of all tax collection, all throughout the territory of the Jews, and also, by the way, over Phoenicia. The, the Jewish tax collector was uh, had a, an enormous area to cover. Well, you couldn't cover it with just one person. So what do you think he did? He hired other people to help him with tax collection. Now, when they did tax collection, you know, you have to assess a person's property, impose the tax, and then you can keep a little bit for yourself and you pass the rest on to the supervisor, to that certain Jew. Then, of course, he would keep some for himself and he would pass the rest on to the government of, of Greece. The tax collection however, made these tax collectors very, very wealthy. Instead of just sitting on their wealth, however, they reinvested their wealth in Judea. Um, after they had appointed their friends, so they would gather them together and say, now we've made money, let's go and reinvest. And we'll invest in projects, um, perhaps infrastructure projects and other types of projects that would make them even more wealthy as a result of these investments. But now they enriched themselves and showered money on Judea and improved the economy very dramatically. It changed, it changed Judea from a relatively poor population to a middle class and upper middle class upper, uh, population. They raised the people basically from poverty to prosperity. And it changed the whole course of Judean history. I think it's extremely uh, instructive to us today to understand what happened to them. You see, Satan was primarily interested in the Jews. They were the object of Christ's supreme regard. Isn't that right? Satan's plan was to prevent the Jews from accomplishing their mission at all costs. He wanted them at all costs to reject Jesus as the Messiah. 
Today, Satan's primary target is God's true people. He wants to get them off their mission, off their spiritual principles, and prevent them from proclaiming the truth in these last days. Namely, Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12, and Revelation 18, verses 1 through 5, or 4. The new wealth in Judea changed the attitude of the Jews. They copied, they loved Greek culture. They thought this was great. So they copied the Greeks in almost everything. Their tastes became more refined. Their homes became more beautiful. Clothing of the Jews now copied the fashions of the Greeks. They lost simple habits and customs designed to keep them loyal to God and separate from pagan idolaters. Now they lost this and became fuzzy. Their, their, the separation and the, the convictions became less firm and, and things started to change. They did not bow down to idols. They did not serve uh, images of wood and stone, but they had new gods, the gods of reason, the gods of materialism, and the gods of fashion. A very serious change took place. The Jewish leaders actually led the youth in their extravagant lifestyle. The Jewish leaders were the ones who actually promoted the Greek ways, the frivolous habits and customs. And as I said, they copied the Greeks in eating, drinking, fashion, finances. They put more value in making money than in spiritual attainments instead of the other way around as it was before. Love of worldliness increased. The youth quickly fell into immorality and dissipation under the lifestyle changes that the Greeks brought to Judea. The Greek festivals were corrupt orgies. Um, they, and yet some, some leading Jews brought them right into Judea boldly and unashamedly, including dancing women, pagan music, and this, of course, was right in the midst of God's church. Do you think that sounds familiar today? The youth quickly fell for these things, and the result was they had less interest in God's festivals that God had established, you know, the feast that God had prepared for them. And now, of course, they were more interested in worldly things. The Jews were being re-educated to think like the world. Their education was leading the Jews uh, away from God's truth, away from His Word, away from the principles of the sanctuary and of salvation. And now they were being re-educated, re-educated in a new way. And some people shamelessly conspired to Hellenize the Jews from top to bottom, even so they would overthrow their distinctive doctrines. Even so, they would overthrow their distinctive doctrines. That's not just talking about the Bible in our case today. Let's talk about the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. Let's talk about the focus on individualism that our founders had, the focus on Judeo-Christian values, 
the, the good values, the values of how to treat people correctly, respecting people, uh, and so forth. And the question for, for, for me to you now is, so who are we worshiping today and how do we gain our acceptance today? Uh, let's talk about people like LeBron James, who accepts the godlessness and the terror of a Chinese communist government that murders people uh, for being Uyghurs or murders people for being Fulong Gong just for their organs. Let's talk about uh, harvesting uh, fetal organs here in America. Let's talk about how we look for acceptance in the social media realm and how you're attacked for having the really correct viewpoints, the viewpoints of, of love and the viewpoints of acceptance. And you're ridiculed for having those old values, those things of the past as a mindset. Let's talk about those athletes that are worshiped. Let's talk about the people who do good in our society and how they are not recognized or rewarded uh, like they should be or could be, but instead we have these other heroes that we worship, you know, and um, I think that we, we all understand what uh, Pastor Mayer was saying there. We see it every day. Uh, we've gotten further and further away from family, further and further away from uh, community, and I don't mean community like the, the Marxist believe community. I fully believe in capitalism. I believe that you can have capitalism and still have the right values. I think that capitalism has been perverted over a century or more now, and that what we're seeing is the worship of the dollar instead of a system that provides for, for people. We're spending trillions of dollars on things that could be doing so much more. Imagine spending money to uh, take care of the homeless problem in our major cities. Imagine treating our veterans the way they should be treated and, and being taken care of. Instead, we're spending trillions and trillions of dollars uh, going back and lining the pockets of the godless elites. And we see that in the, in the example of the Hunter Biden laptop and everything around that that was denied by the lying media for years and now they're they had to come back now after two years and and finally say huh there's something to it and that's because they, they control the information uh to use the information uh to their advantage until they absolutely cannot deny it anymore and that's what's going to happen when the election results that's what's going to happen in a lot of more a lot more things that are going to come to light in these next few years so uh, last clip with, uh, with Pastor Hal Mayer. I do have the link, as I said, to his website, uh, or the website that contains this series. I highly recommend that you go check it out. We'll be right back after this last one. Be right back after this last one. The decline in standards fostered by the liberal leaders led to general disregard and even a denial of the fundamental truths of the Jewish faith. And by the act of its own people, says Graz, by the act of its own people, Jerusalem had renounced its age-long isolation and come into line with the great Hellenic world. He was speaking as if that was a great achievement, this historian. But I see it as a great disaster. I think we must see it as a great disaster. 
little by little, the things that made the Jews distinct, their very identity became open for question and discussion. The Sabbath was lightly regarded. Even conservatives began to question their beliefs. They had generally or gradually replaced God's definition of success with the Greek definition of success. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, our very identity now under question, now under attack. Our very way of life now under question, now under attack like never before. And that brings us up to where we are today. So this episode, we've talked a lot about what actually occurred in the past and correlated it as a matter of prophecy for what's occurring today. And this is referenced, and like I said, I barely scratched the surface. I highly recommend you go check out the link and check out the rest of the content that is part of that series. You won't regret it. Our world is full of electromagnetic fields that even though we can't see them, are affecting our bodies, our sleep, and even our ability to think clearly. The advent of 5G is only making this worse. There is an answer. Visit Fix the World by clicking the link in the Patriot Review show description below to view natural products that can actually protect you from EMF and 5G and even improve your sleep. Skeptical? Get the free Dangers of EMF Radiation eBook free by clicking on its direct link also in the show description. You can also learn more by watching episode 62 of the Patriot Review. Hey Patriots, you can save up to 66% at MyPillow.com when you use the code TPR. That stands for The Patriot Review. That's TPR or call 800-519-9927. That's 800-519-9927. I use these products myself. I can tell you they are the best quality bar none. So go ahead, use the code TPR and get up to 66% off right now. Coming to you from the land of common sense and American pride. Not a unicorn or rainbow in sight. Welcome back to the Patriot Review with Jeff Wagner.
I'd like to welcome back to the show Dr. Bill Warner from politicalislam.com, our continuing series on the real Islam. Uh, doctor, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. So today we had talked uh, about the series, and today's topic is Islam and women. And I noticed you have you put out a recent blog that deals with uh, part of this issue. So I will let you take it away. And today, uh, like I said, we're talking about women specifically and, and how Islam uh, treats them and, and what they can expect within Islam. So I will let you start. We also need to cover, we also, we can later talk about, people ask the question, well, why do women marry Muslims? And then we have a very interesting discussion there. Sounds good. So anyway, there is a chapter in the Quran called Women. And in it, we learn some amazing things. We learn that, for instance, first let's cover what comprises Islam. Islam is Quran, which everybody's heard of and hardly anybody's read and understood. Then we have the Sunnah, which contains two texts. One of those is his biography, the Sirah, and the other one is his traditions, little things that he said and did. Now, what's important about all this is that there are 89 verses in the Quran that state that everybody is to pattern their life exactly like Muhammad. So if Muhammad did it, Muslims are supposed to do it. Okay. And Muhammad did a lot of things that involved women, a lot. He loved women, but he had a harem which had divisions in it. One of the things is pretty interesting. Many men have fantasized about living in a harem, I'm sure. But the problem of it is, is that is when you have more than one person, they always divide up into groups. And so this is one of the reasons for this is in the Quran, it says that a Muslim can marry one, two, three or four women. But men who are Muslims can have sex in other ways. It also turns out that there is a use for what are called sex slaves. And sex slaves are part of the Quran. Muhammad had sex slaves. He had brown slaves, black slaves, white slaves, sex slaves. He wholesale slaves, he retail slaves. So, but one of the things that's interesting is, is that a slave under Islam, he can have sex with her. It's part of what's in the Quran. So that's one of the things. There's a lot of other things we can talk about that involve women. And this one comes from the Hadith. So before you do that, go ahead. Before you do that, there you're talking about you're talking about not only do you have wives, but you have sex slaves. And what is Muhammad's history as far as the age of these wives and or slaves? Well, there are, most people know very little about Islam, but they do know some things about Muhammad. Mm -hmm. One of them was he had sex slaves. He captured slaves. Uh, he retailed them, as I said, he wholesaled them. So it was very important that he, for instance, I just told you that most Muslims have one, two, three, or four wives. That's what the Quran says, but not Muhammad. Muhammad can have as many as he wants. 
Uh, I think I've slowly slipped away from what your question was. Do you want to repeat it? The age. What age? Ah, the age. The age, yes. Well, people who know very little about Muhammad know this about him. He married a nine-year-old child. I called a nine-year-old a child, and I've had daughters. And when they were nine years old, they were children. So Muhammad had sex with nine-year-olds. But he only married them when they were six. Wow. Then I consummated the marriage when they, he was nine. She was nine. And this is one of the better known facts about Muhammad. People who know nothing else about him know this. I think primarily because it's like, oh, my God. Shocking. Well, don't you find it shocking? I absolutely do. And I'm, I find it very concerning. And this is a little off topic, but... Um... I find it very concerning that today in America, pedophilia is, is being normalized by the far left and that these, uh, you, you're not even supposed to call them pedophiles anymore. You call them minor attracted persons, which to me is no. dis disgusting. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, so, I have no tolerance for that. No, me either. Absolutely not. So, so you're saying that um, a good Muslim is told to follow Muhammad's example, which includes not only having multiple wives, up to four, but it, it also includes having sex slaves. Um, and I think we're seeing more and more Sharia uh, start to be pushed in the United States as well. But Yes, we are. This is something that people don't worry about. For instance, there's a man running for Senate. I forget in what state he's in, maybe Pennsylvania, and Trump came out and supports him. His name is uh, Mehmet Oz. He's a Muslim. Now, what this means is, is he's elected. There'll be a little more Islam in our government. And people say, well, he's a nice man. You know, he, and he says he doesn't follow the Sharia. Well, I've read the doctrine of Islam, and I don't see how any Muslim can say they don't follow Sharia because it's Allah's will. The Sharia is based on Quran, Sirah, Hadith, and it's how they're applied. So I don't see how any Muslim, we're slowly, it's the salami method, just a little slice at a time, just a little bit more and a little bit more. And I think that we need to start I think first off, we need to realize we have a problem. I call this Sharia a problem. Why? Because it says that I'm a Kafir and I'm inferior. It says that a parent is not responsible for the killing of their child. There are a whole lot of things in Sharia that I despise. Honor Jihad is one of those. Honor, honor killing. killing. Jihad is. And I don't really cater to. I really don't cater to the fact that I'm inferior to them. Right. This is late breaking news, but I do not view myself as an inferior to a Muslim, nor do I see a Muslim as being superior to me, even though the Quran says they're the best of people. Well, it's so contradictory to, to the American way. The best of people don't murder their children for dishonor. The best of people don't mutilate their children's genitals for being female. The rest, you know. The, but what we do, what we are seeing in America is we are seeing the salami method, as you put it, being used by our own government to erode our freedoms when it comes to locking down businesses or forcing masks or uh, forcing uh, injections to be vaccinated to, to hold your job. 
So we're seeing- I'm 81 years old. I never thought I would live in a United States in which freedom of speech was even questioned. Yeah, uh, me either. Now we see it is. It is. If you want it, there's a whole subject you're not supposed to even talk about. For instance, I'm considered a racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobe because I want to talk about the doctrine of Islam. I don't talk about Muslims, with one exception, Muhammad. Right. So women in particular, I, I have to scratch my head at, uh, at where are the feminists on this issue? So let's talk about how women are actually treated in Islam for, for a bit here and, and, uh, and challenge that. Well, first off, let's be very clear that I'm talking about Islam. Right. There are people who call themselves Muslims who don't follow any of the doctrine hardly at all. They're sort of like, in Christianity, you have Easter Sunday Christians. That is, no, no one's ever seen them except on Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, you have Muslims who are like that. So I want to be very clear when I'm discussing this, I'm discussing the doctrine of Islam. Because Muslims have a range of behavior they can do. For mm-hmm. instance, they can beat their wife. Sarah 4, 34. If you don't like your wife's attitude, you can strike her. Well, that doesn't mean that every Muslim strikes their wife. But they do have the possibility of doing so. So they have a range of ethical things they can do. So some of the things that a Muslim can do is he can hit his wife, which I have no tolerance for at all. Um, mind you, I've been married for over 60 years. There have been times when I wanted to hit my wife. I didn't say I didn't want to. <laughs> but I never did. Right, and you're, you're. I think you're. What you're saying is, you're pointing to Islam as the foundation. The, the problem is the, it is the foundations for beliefs. And yes. Okay, so you're saying that within the within the Islam, it's acceptable to beat your wife, uh, and honor. Well, there's a verse in the Quran which says you can. I don't know how you get around that. Mm -hmm. But there are many other things you can do. I read, I spoke for an hour with a woman who was a niece of Osama bin Laden. Yes, wow. that Osama bin Laden. Wow. Fascinating person. Her mother, she lives in Switzerland now. And she, Osama bin, bin Laden only once briefly. And he immediately, when he realized that he was in the house with a woman alone, he fled the house. Because he's not supposed to be with a woman who's, who is potentially... Anyway, he, he left. But what was interesting was how women are trained in Islam in little ways that are subtle. For instance, you can be, you can be the oldest child and be a woman. So you're, but if a younger brother comes into the room, you have to stand up and give him your chair. This is when you're just a child, even before being teenage. So the training on how a woman is to be subjugated is made clear. Now, there's other things here that we have to face. Not everybody's going to do that. But the women in general, let me give you an example. A woman in what is called Palestine by the Muslims sued in a Sharia court for a fatwa, and a fatwa is nothing more than a judgment, that she, her husband only beat her one day a week. She says, he beats me every day, and that's too much. Now think about what I just told you. Yeah, yeah. This woman has been trained. So we find that there are a lot of women 
women who have been subjugated and the subjugation. And by the way, there are three there are three categories of what the Quran says about women. Five percent of the Quran, when it addresses women, say they're the best of people, because, but that is as a mother. Then we also have the fact that she's equal, but she's only equal on Judgment Day. And one of the things she will be judged on, and that's about 10 percent, one of the things she'll be judged on is how well she obeyed her husband. Then the balance of them, about 80 percent of the verses in the Quran, subjugate women in some way. Let me give you an example. I have two daughters. My wife nursed them. The Quran says that I, the husband, should be the one who tells the mother when the child should not be nursed anymore. Well, whoever thought about doing that? Right. I mean, it never once, I mean, that's not my business. So, but the Quran says it's the man to do that. Now, does that mean that every husband does that to his wife? No, but he can. And so we need to keep making this distinction between what Muslims do and what they could do. And they have a whole range of activity. So I've often wondered, I've seen and been in other cities, I haven't seen it yet in Nashville, where you see a woman and she's dressed in black. She's got black on her hair, head. Can you imagine how hot that is in the summertime? No, I can't. So let me ask you this. So we have Ilan Omar, who we know broke the law. We know that she came into this country illegally with her with her false marriage to her brother. Uh, why? How can she be in the position she's in and still still fit the model of Islam? Well, she doesn't, of course. But we, on the other hand, are so spineless, and I'm including all of the world, practically, in dealing with Islam, they just let them do whatever they want. I didn't read the article, I just saw a reference to it in a sentence, but the Pope spoke somewhere, and Muslims were there, and so they covered the crosses because it was offensive to Muslims. Well, gag me with a spoon. That's inexcusable. Well, this Pope, well, we could talk all day about this Pope. This Pope is not a real Pope, in my opinion. I've spoken with Catholics about him, and they, he drives them nuts. I would believe it. So the what is the what is the attraction to some of these teenage girls who are going overseas and becoming Muslims? Well, I can tell you that to some degree. Now, once again, we're dealing with individuals, and they have all their own reasons for doing it. Let me point something out to you. If you're a woman in America today and you want a husband who will work and not cheat on you, marriage is pretty much a passing institution. It's been being eroded and attacked for decades. Yes. And by the way, having been married for, uh, as I said, let's see, over 60 years, I like being married. And it, as you get older, being married is even more important because you need to help each other. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, the oh, but here, I mean, here, here's here's what I wanted to say. Okay. Let's say that you're a black woman, and you want a husband who won't cheat on you and bring him home a paycheck. Well, those are hard to come by. Seventy percent of all children, adults, I mean, men who are black 
do not have a father in the house. Right. So if you want to have a, a husband, if you convert to Islam, you'll find a Muslim, you'll find a husband very quickly. Gotcha. So that's one possible reason. Now, I don't say that's a reason for all of them. But the family is one of the things I do like about Islam is the family is elevated. And by the way, there's some other things which I like about Islam. So I don't want to I know I'm called a racist, a hater, a bigot and an Islamophobe. But I look at things for what they are. And there are some good things that are to be found in Islam. So I'll give them credit for it. There's enough bad that I don't want to become a Muslim. I don't want a Muslim to be my representative in Congress or any other such thing. But Islam has some good qualities. As an 80-year-old, 81-year-old man, I'll tell you this. Muslims show respect to their elders. And that is something that has disappeared here in America as well. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, America has got so many holes in the hole. Islam is just one of them. We seem to be living in a perfect storm. But nobody seems to be really perturbed. Well, I am. <laughs> That's why I'm doing this. Well, I am too. Yeah. Um, you know the uh, bring it back, bringing it back to women specifically. I think that the American feminist movement bears a lot of the responsibility for the deterioration of the family, of fatherhood, of of paternalism, and. That is why I asked the question about what would attract young women to Islam, because, I mean, it's it, those parts of Christianity have been under attack uh, from feminists for years. Um, so I, I, I struggle with that. Why, why would you subject yourself to what you claim to hate? Uh, well, I'll tell you this. There are other groups that are the same. The churches, it's rare to find anyone in a church who will speak about the subject of Islam. They want to do bridge building. Well, the bridge only runs in one direction. So, yeah. yeah. And, and but, but feminists have, are, are, are no better than the ministers in terms of standing up to Islam. As a matter of fact, hardly anybody wants to stand up to Islam. Everybody just says, well, the Muslims want it that way. If they want to move in and build a big community, Islamic Community Center or a mosque and the call have, have the call to prayer at sunrise or before sunrise. Well, I guess we'll just let them do that. Right. If I they can... want to commandeer the streets and pray in the streets, well, we wouldn't want to interfere with them. Yeah. Muslims create a fear. People are afraid to. Of course, now what it is that is that the what we see this combined with so many different ways. So we don't see anybody. Who's standing up the universities? I gave a talk at a university, and when I talk was over, a man stood up in the back of the room and started screaming at me at the top of his lungs. And I, the talk was entitled "A Statistical Approach to the Study of Islam." And what I did, like those statistics I gave on women, five percent, ten percent, so on, eighty-nine verses. A man stood up in the back of the room and started screaming at me at the top of his voice and thrusting his finger like this. He says. You should never be allowed on any campus. You're a fool. You're a bigot. You're a hater. It's disgusting that you're even on this campus. <laughs> he was. By the way, he did not address one thing that I said. Of course not. He's the real bigot. That's what. So he. So anyway, here I am. 
being screamed at by a man who he turns out to be the head of the Middle East Department. <laughs> Gee, go figure. So there, what I'm doing is I'm condemning the universities, which makes me very sad. Well, I loved the, the university life changed me. Well, the universities are the universities used to be thought of as the place to express different opinions and learn yeah. learn about critical thinking, and and they are anything but that these days. The majority of them, with the with the exception of the some of the Christian universities that are out there, um, unfortunately. That seems to be lost, and you're right. America is a sinking ship that has all kinds of holes in it. But um, so, women in general, what is their role uh, within the family? You said the family is elevated. Um, They're to be the mother. So their role is strictly nurturing the children. And uh, what about right. any decisions? Are they uh, are they forbidden to make decisions for the family or? What is well, that? it depends on what kind of decision it is. There's one interesting hadith or verse, I forget which, in which women are considered in, intellectually inferior. Why, why would anybody join a group which looks at you and says, you know, you're, you're intellectually inferior to me. Why? Because I have gonads and you don't. I mean, I would never join a club like that in which I'm inherently inferior, but that's one of the things. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that every man treats his wife as though she is an inferior, but it says he has the possibility of doing so. Right. Right. And and people are afraid to to bring those types of topics up because we've been conditioned that way, especially after 9-11. All the Islamophobia and all that, they were attacked for having questions or bringing up legitimate points about how the... Uh, Islamic teachings and the, and the Christian teachings are diametrically opposed in a lot of uh, situations. It gets me that ministers would want to go to these bridge-building family of Abraham events and sit there and listen to Christianity be trashed, and they don't do anything. Right. Yeah. Well, we've seen with the COVID, uh, with the COVID follow-up and and churches carrying the message to get this experimental vaccination that the churches don't have the best interest of, of people in mind anymore. And they really have strayed it far from the teaching of the, the Christian doctrine uh, in a lot of cases. So, you know, the, the history of Muhammad and what people do know you said you mentioned the, the the young bride, and I'm convinced you're right about that. That people have heard about that, um, and also, if if they watch the news at all, they've seen stories about these no-go zones. They're called, and now Minneapolis, the call to prayer is, you know, brought is over the uh, sirens or loudspeakers every day, right, for four times a day or whatever. Um, we see armed people at the end of the driveways of the land they own with, you know, uh, why is it, do you think that other than fear, why is it that Americans refuse to see the truth behind Islam and how it treats women and how it really is diametrically opposed to our principles? Well, the reason that most people don't want to do it is if you get if you do what I do, which is to 
And by the way, everything that I've told, said, told you here, I can find in the Quran or the Hadith or the Sirah. So what I'm saying is I'm just quoting from their doctrine. Mm -hmm. You would think that would be safe enough, but it isn't. People still call me all kinds of names, usually racist, hater, bigot, Islamophobe. So we abuse those who want to speak the truth. And it's not just on the subject of Islam. In general, we're finding that people are being abused if they differ with the majority opinion. Right. Now, Muslims aren't a minority, but they're a protected minority. True. You're just not supposed to ever, you're just never supposed to criticize them, never supposed to say anything bad about them. You're not to offend them. Well, yeah. Isn't, isn't the world all about not offending people? I mean... I don't know about you, but I get offended many times during during the entire. I don't think I've had a day in which I wasn't offended by something. Right, right. Well, All I gotta do is turn on the news. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays, uh, nowadays, you know, you if you have the, the the views of the founders, I mean, you're automatically a domestic terrorist, right? Especially if you have white skin. But, um, well, the worst problem is the white skin. Yeah. So tell me. Uh, what are the key things you would want um, women who aren't familiar with Islam to know? Uh, what what would you point to for them to learn, to get familiar with, uh, to really find out for themselves what a woman's role is in Islam? Well, I basically talk to them about things like I'm talking to you now, which is how a woman is treated, how a wife is treated, how the husband can have a sex slave, that's not the word they use, but it's the word I use because it's strict, strictly what it is. I would also want her to know that she's considered inferior. She can be beaten. So these are things I think that are important. Now, the husband can do all of these things. He doesn't have to do them. Right. They're not mandatory. They're just things that can be done if he thinks it's necessary. The one about wife eating, by the way, is interesting. All you have to do is suspect her of being having a bad, bad attitude. She didn't even really have to say anything. This a rule like this is being implemented now in Canada. Canada is getting ready to, to pass a lot of Islamophobia bills. And one of the parts of the bill is you can be arrested for just thinking that you could speak Islamophobia. That is, you might right. you might be Islamophobic. Right. Canada, by the way, if you think the United States is going down the tubes, Canada is far ahead of us. Oh, they are. Canada and Australia both. Um, I, I was happy to see Trudeau get called out and be called a dictator to his face this uh, past week. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Now, this is a personal opinion, not a quote from any facts. I don't like him. <laughs> because he doesn't he doesn't stand for what I, I stand for free speech yeah he's a little Nazi is what he is uh, but he's right on everything yeah yeah he's a little Nazi um, so daughters in particular uh, of of Muslims in the United States have made the news for being too westernized is what their fathers would say famous case happened several years ago with two daughters in the in the back seat of their father's taxi cab 
and were murdered by him while they talked to a 911 operator. Uh, so as you say, I mean, these these things um, are, are taught that they are acceptable and that to me should be enough for all Americans to stand against it. And yet we are where we are. Um, so what in particular would you say to women who want to know more about just read the Quran or specific verses or oh don't read the Quran goodness gracious don't do that unless you read a Quran now my Quran can be read and easily understood I published the Quran one of the things that, the reason the Quran is hard to read is is that we remember stories I've never met anybody who was so dumb that they couldn't understand a story and my grandmother told me stories. I tell stories. We all tell stories. Right. We can remember stories. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm -hmm. But the Quran does not have a story in it. The story has been artificially removed. Now, the Quran that I sell, which is called a simple Quran, the, the verses are in the right time sequence. So when you turn the page, you go forward in the story. So as a result with it, when you read my Quran, you can see that Islam is political, it's religious, and it starts off as a prayer to God and ends with political domination of the world. There's more about politics in the Quran and the doctrine of Islam than there is about religion. Now, what I call politics is how I'm a Kafir and how I'm to be treated. Okay, so you're so don't start off with the Quran. Okay. There are many good books published on how the subject of, of women and how they're treated in Islam. I, of course, have my own the Islamic doctrine of women, but there are other books as well. I would say to read those, because if you start off and try to read the Quran, you will not finish it and you will not understand it. So are your are your books available at uh, politicalislam.com? You bet. Okay. So let's and by the way, there's something different about my books. My books are arranged in order for you to educate yourself. So there's three levels of it, three levels of books, for instance, and you learn different things at different levels. So my books are made to educate as a self-study course. They're not just books. Right, and you have you have a video, uh, you have video content as well, correct? About 150 of them. Right. So we've pointed to those before. I'll be sure to show it during this interview, uh, your website again, and uh, point people in the proper direction. By the way, let me say one thing about this. Now I'm obviously a little nuts. The study of Islam is actually quite interesting, I find, because it's like studying another universe. And so I guess what I'm saying is some people think, well, I want to do that. That'd be hard to do. It's not that it's been made easy. Since 9-11, there's been an intellectual re revolution. Before 9-11, you couldn't buy books that made Islam easy to understand. But since 9-11, it's been able to do. So our lack of courage is the reason we're not implementing what we know because now then we, anyone can learn the truth about Islam it used to be very difficult now it's very easy well, fascinating yeah we certainly so it's like a different plane of existence it really is mm -hmm. but that just makes it more interesting right so again um, well thank you for being here and we will have I think we got two more topics that we're going to talk about yet uh, this is the third, and this will be set aside as a series.
uh, both on my website and at Frank's speech um, so people can people can kind of see our interviews in sequence as well so you never know what the ripple effects are what you're doing is a noble thing so you know that's something well thank you you're welcome we'll see you again soon I'll have you back soon okay great thank you talk to you later bye-bye bye-bye bye -bye. hey Patriots it's Jeff Wagner I love my pillow products I use them I can say that they are simply the best quality that you will find anywhere and you can help us all out all Patriots including Mike Lindell and our mission to restore America by going to mypillow.com today and using code TPR that stands for the Patriot Review so it's easy to remember TPR save up to 66% you can also order by calling 800-519-9927 again that's 800-519-9927 thank you and God bless Ignore the thought police and subscribe or follow the Patriot Review. It's your patriotic duty. Just want to say thank you again to, uh, to the doctor there for his continued support and doing yet another episode on Islam. I appreciate that very much, and I hope that you enjoyed the show today. I would ask you to go to politicalislam.com, and you can find out uh, more about what uh, he has to offer there. And as he said, he's got a ton of stuff over there, so check that out. Um, also, I wanted to remind you that this week, this coming weekend, we have Dinesh D'Souza's uh, movie coming out, 2,000 Mules, which I think will be extremely important in finally putting to bed the argument of the lying media that this is all propaganda and just a conspiracy theory. Again, you can check this out at 2000mules.com. I know you can purchase a ticket for 20 bucks, I think, for the virtual premiere there where you can see the movie and then um, there's a question and answer session uh, after that. So that's kind of cool. So check that out. And as always, thank you for being here. We've got some great episodes coming out. You saw the trailer there for the uh, COVID-specific episode of the upcoming documentary series called High Treason, You Decide. That is going to be, I think, the third episode. First episode, we're going to do some history on treason, and then um, we'll go from there into, into uh, five distinct topics 
uh, each having their own episode. So that'll be fun. And we're putting together their panels there, we're getting some great people involved. As we get more people on board, we'll let you know who they are. We'll also uh, be putting up a special page or maybe even a dedicated website to that documentary. Of course, the documentary will be free and you can check that out. For now, I thank you for being here and please join us next week at four o'clock. We live stream on, on uh, CloudHub and Rumble and then uh, upload to Frank Speech and many other platforms. So we will see you then.